and go back over here. Okay, so we're in Isaiah 33 and 34 today. Um, I don't know if we'll take the whole time doing Isaiah 33 or not, but if we do, that's okay. I just put the other one in there just in case we get a short one like we sometimes do. But let me find where we are. There it is. Right in between these two. Okay, so 33. <sighs> Turn back. So to, it, the first chapter is about the people crying out, Oh Lord, be gracious to us. And Isaiah 33. Ah, you destroyer, who yourself have not been destroyed. You traitor whom none has betrayed. When you have ceased to destroy, you will be destroyed. And when you have finished betraying, they will betray you. O Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. At the tumultuous noise, peoples flee. When you lift yourself up, nations are scattered. And your spoil is gathered as the caterpillar gathers. As locusts leap, it is leapt upon. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Behold, their heroes cry in the streets. The envoys of peace weep bitterly. The highways, the highways lie waste. The traveler ceases. Covenants are broken, cities are despised, there is no regard for man. The land mourns and languishes, Lebanon is confounded and withers away. Sharon is like a desert, and Bashan and Carmel shake off their leaves. Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. You conceive chafe, you give birth to stubble. Your breath is a fire that will consume you. And the peoples will be as if burned to lime, like thorns cut down that are burned in the fire. Hear you who are far off what I have done, and you who are near acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? It's, you know, it's, a, it's a really beautiful description of the chaos that we create and the trouble that we cause and what God has to step into and create order out of. Um, Because without him stepping into it, who among us can dwell in the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? You know, we can't. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil. He will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. His bread will be given him. And that's 
in contrast to what happened after the fall where Adam is told you'll have to work have to labor for everything that you get. You'll have to work hard in order to get the fruit of the earth, whereas the righteous person will have his bread given to him. His water will be sure. Your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. So who can survive? The person who's righteous, the person who's walking in the ways of the Lord. Your heart will muse on the terror. Where is he who counted? Where is he who weighed the tribute? Where is he who counted the towers? You will see no more the insolent people, the people of an obscure speech that you cannot comprehend, stammering in a tongue that you cannot understand. Behold Zion, the city of our appointed feasts. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, an untroubled habitation, an immovable tent, whose stakes will never be plucked up, nor will any of its cords be broken. But there the Lord in majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams where no galley with oars can go nor majestic ship can pass. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. So just this, no matter what your circumstances are right now, there is hope. The Lord, if he is your judge, your lawgiver, your king, he will save you. Your cords hang loose. They cannot hold the mast firm in its place or keep the sail spread out. Then prey and spoil in abundance will be divided. Even the lame will take the prey. And no inhabitant will say, I am sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. So this beautiful, everyone is healed, everyone is holy, everyone is, is in the presence of the Lord, forgiven their iniquity. A judgment on the nations. Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. So before we get into this, it, I, I love when God lines things up because the feast, you know, the festival of Sukkot is the time when the nation of Israel would offer lots and lots and lots and lots of sacrifices, and they were sacrifices for the nations. It was basically Israel standing, you know, in the gap, if you will, and saying, they don't know any better. So we're going to, you know, entreat you on their behalf. We're going to bring sacrifices uh, that you will, so that you will show mercy to the nation, so that you will, will keep them, Keep them away from us. <laughs> let them come attack us. But at the same time, let them, you know, let them have uh, another year to get to know who you are to find out about you. So, um, you know, in for Isaiah to be calling out to the nations to tell them about their condition with the Lord is is what we're dealing with here. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. Now keep in mind as we're reading this, anyone from the nations is free to go and attach themselves to Israel and no longer be part of the nations. So this is to those who are choosing to stay in the nations. 
This is for those who don't want to be part of Israel, who don't want to attach themselves to God. And he's letting them know you are partnering with with the enemy. You are you are putting yourself in opposition to God. And not just those that don't know better. Right? right, right. Well, I mean, it's and it's the nation. It's it's very interesting because the parable of the goats and the sheep is actually about the judgment of the nations. And and because it says all of the nations were gathered before the king. And when he's judging them, they're separated into sheep based on how they treated other people, the least among them. And the goats are the ones who did not show any love or compassion. And when, because when the sheep, when the sheep are told this, they go, wait, wait, when did we do this? We didn't know you. And he says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And, and that parable and coming up to, to understand that when I, when I was talking to a friend who said, you know, this, this is about the nations. Look, it says the nations were called. And I went, wow. Okay. And, and, you know, when people ask, well, what about, what about those who don't know? What about those who don't know any better? Those who've never heard. And this is where, this is why I've said um, in the past I really believe you can't love other people without God at work in you. And if God's at work in you, then I don't need to worry about whether you have the same confession of faith as I do. Because God's capable of working things out with you. And so, in, you know, in friendship and in relationship with people who are very loving people, I have the opportunity to share what I believe. But also no pressure that if I don't share it right or if they don't have a particular response that I'm going to have to worry about their return. That's not, that's not mine. You know, it's God who saves. He's perfectly, he's perfectly capable. <laughs> and, um, and also, you know, just knowing there, I, lo I look around and, you know, a lot of people, one of the big things that's being said now by more and more and more and more people, as opposed to, you know, every now and then you'd hear it in the past, is that they would rather be around people who are genuinely loving than people who share the same confession of faith and are jerks. Because is it your confession of faith that saves you? Or is it maybe that the point is to move us all towards love? And if you're saying all the right things with the wrong heart, okay, God will work that out with you too. But if I have to choose who I'm going to spend my time with, it's going to be the people who are kind and loving and taking care of one another. And, and you know, it's I, – I go back to John, and I, I actually – was in a discussion online. I don't remember if it was the end of last week or beginning of this lap, this current week. Um, but on a Christian site talking to someone and the, the hate that was coming out of them. And I suggested that perhaps they might want to consider that, that John was the one who said, if you love God, but you don't love other people, you're a liar. and God's love isn't in you. And he said, 
What's the what's the resource for that? What's the website? Where did you read that? Who's John? I said, um, one of the authors of the New Testament, and it's in one of his letters. I really? <laughs> okay, maybe I haven't gotten that far. <laughs> it's towards the back. I'll admit that it's you know it's one of the last ones before Revelation. Maybe you skipped it and went to Revelation. I don't know. No judgment, but. Yeah, you don't hear a lot of messages on that. <laughs> so, so yeah, I this is but this is talking to the nations, the people who are entrenched in their nation, the people who are who are fighting for their nation when their nation is not Israel. You know, the people who are sure that that they're going to be blessed and they're going to be taken care of and they're going to be they're going to be fine and maybe even they're going to be fine if they can just get Israel out of the way. And I will make no comment beyond that. But <laughs> all the host of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. And going back to the beginning of Isaiah 33, where the, the warning is issued, you know, when you're done thinking that you're getting all of this, this opportunity to destroy, you're going to be the ones destroyed. You know, God allowed different at different times nations to come in against Israel because he knew what needed to happen. But he was very, very confidently stating every time that their destruction would come because of their willingness to do that. The Lord has a sword. It is satiated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Bozrah, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their soil shall be gorged with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Eden shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. So, um, you know, volcano imagery. And, and I know I've shared before, being down in the, we went down into Kilauea Crater. It, was, it turned out to be about a year before it erupted back in the late 80s. Uh, no, early 80s, very early 80s. Yeah, early 80s. And we were standing there, and the smell of sulfur was just absolutely nauseating. And, you know, the heat, and we could feel the lava moving underneath it, and it was very unsettling. You had to keep picking up your feet or your shoes would start to melt. And it was, it was crazy. But the, the idea of burning pitch and, and the soil into sulfur. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch the line of confusion over it and the plumb line of emptiness. Its nobles, there is no one there to call it a kingdom, and all its princes shall be nothing. 
Thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be the haunt of jackals, an abode for ostriches. And Ooh. I don't know. I don't know if you watch. You watch Disney movies because yeah, um, we've all had or have little kids. The the Sleeping Beauty castle. You know how how the castle is cut off from everything, and the thorns grow up, and it's just. Makes me think of that, you know, there's nettles and thistles, there's wild animals, the hawk and the porcupine. Or Arizona. Yeah, or Arizona. <laughs> Desolate wasteland <laughs> that we call home. <laughs> a haunt of jackals and an abode for ostriches. I, I do often say, God, is there is there a reason we're wandering in the wilderness? Did we do something? Uh, he he keeps he keeps telling me that I just need to be here and do what I'm told to do, so I keep doing that, and we don't die every year, so I guess we're okay. But <laughs> it's it's like wow, we would just love to go into some promised land at some point, and and out of the wilderness. It's beautiful in its own way. It's you know in its own passive aggressive way. It's very beautiful. You know, hey, here's a spring flower, but don't get too close. I'll stab you. So, <laughs> and wild animals shall meet with hyenas. The wild goat shall cry to his fellow. Indeed, there the night bird settles and finds for herself a resting place. There the owl nests and lays and hatches and gathers her young in her shadow. Indeed, there the hawks are gathered, each one with her mate. So it's a very wild, desolate. Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing. None shall be without her mate. For the mouth of the Lord has commanded, and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast the lot for them. His hand has portioned it out to them with the line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation, they shall dwell in it. Two chapters. Knock those out. Woo. So, thoughts. Anything that stood out to you, that spoke to you, that made you think about something else? And not because your mind wandered. <laughs> <laughs> and you right where your head was going. around it I might need a third phone well, let me see if I can get online here because there's he wrote over a very long time so there's lots of different um, let me see who was in chapters Let's see. Let me see here. Hold on. I'm trying to see. Okay. Yeah, this, so this is, it has to do with the time of um, uh, 
the time uh, that they that Assyria was coming against them um, at the time of Hezekiah. So talk about a nation, the nations maybe. Yeah, it'd be like Assyria. It'd be Assyria and everybody who partnered with them, because Assyria. Uh, I mean, look, because I we were just reading about this, but I don't want to say the wrong. I don't want to give the wrong information and confuse them with one of the other places we were just reading about. Um, let's see, because they... Do, do, do. Website's being slow. Because um, they, they were nasty. I mean, they were very nasty. But it was the region in the Near East... Um, from Mesopotamia or modern-day Iraq through Asia Minor or Turkey, and then down through Egypt. Um, but he was speaking to them, to the nations. He was speaking he to the... Specifically, like, hey, here's what's up. Well, he was speaking to the nations, but it wasn't necessarily... He wasn't necessarily out telling them. So much as it would have been written down um, and recorded, and he would have told whoever God sent him to to tell or sent to him to tell, um, and he it would have been available to the king, you know, to, to encourage him with what was going to happen. So going with the idea that prophets aren't always supposed to go tell everybody everything that God's showing them, uh, there are several times where I where Isaiah pops into his own prophecies and is talking about how heavy his heart was or you know how he longed to to do this or that um but the uh let's see yeah the the assyrians were were interesting because they would just they would go in and, and take over all the different places so they Assyria itself had a lot of other people who had agreed to be part of it, you know, to spare their life. And Babylon, when they came around, they did things differently. They they left people able to run, you know, as long as you answer to us, you can kind of do things your own way back at home, um, which is part of why they ended up after the Babylon, you know, they were able to eventually go back because they kept their, their identity. Um not that it was a great thing and welcomed and yes, let's be a multi, you know, a, a multi-religious organization, but it was, uh, unlike Assyria who, who basically dominated and took over and swallowed everything up. Um, but apparently the destruction of the great Assyrian cities was, it took two generations after they fell for all their cities to be gone and nobody knew. Like they were gone. They were literally wiped off the face of the earth. So the prophecies were very <laughs> you're out of there. You're gonna do your thing and then you're out of there. Um so I'm trying to see if they've got So yeah, they they uh, they were they were just a really nasty people. 
and um, and this was I know the last few chapters it was it was specifically at one point talking about when they were they were going down to fight Egypt and they were going to go through Israel and and so God was warning them why are you going down to you know why are you not looking to me for help I said I would protect you in all of this instead you're going down to partner with Egypt um, they're not going to be able to help you <laughs> they're they're going to be destroyed too. And so, so it's, you know, now we're coming back around. That was a couple of chapters ago, and now it's coming back around to God will still protect you, you know, whoever's left, whoever stays, whoever's, whoever's doing this. Uh, and your enemy who's coming against you, don't think they're going to get away with it. It's, it's going to be very bad for them. And it was very, very bad for them. Um, which is why when the northern kingdom was taken into captivity by Assyria, the destruction of Assyria is how they were scattered. Everybody basically fleeing for their life and going wherever they could out of Assyria uh, caused them to kind of go around the world. But that's, that is how they're described by God in the prophecies is I will scatter you among the nations like the first seed. And when your harvest is brought in, you know, when you're returned, they will come with you. And, and so it was, it was one of those, you know, the Northern Kingdom with their false temple and their pagan worship and, and just how far they'd gone. Um, you know, Edom being one of the names for Esau and the how far they had gone away from God. And he, he's like, I got to get you out of the land. I got to get you out of here. When you're ready, you'll come back. Not before then. So... Um, you know, and yet always the promises to protect Israel, to take care of the remnant and the destruction of those who were even willing to come against them. You know, wouldn't it be great if God didn't hold back with protection and nobody went? You know, <laughs> wouldn't that be awesome if God wasn't having to hold back, if he would say, you know, do what you're going to do. And everybody went, no, we want to get along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that does not happen. <laughs> And so, and yet at the same time, it's, it's almost like you can be, I want to be very careful because we're recording and I want to be careful how I say this because even if I clarify it and correct it, I don't want the first thing to come out wrong. Um, there is a difference between as a nation, being pro-Israel and, and allied with Israel and in defense of Israel and being rabidly militant about Israel. Does that, does that make sense? Um, the reason to be pro-Israel and, and to be on the, the side of defending Israel is because it's God's land and God's got a greater purpose for it and God is doing something there and we want to choose our causes wisely and be on the side God's on. The last thing you want to do if you say you're a believer in God is find yourself on the opposite side of a cause from God, you know? <laughs> and so, so yes, in that way. But there are a lot of there are a lot of groups, organizations, 
churches, whatever, um, political people who are presenting themselves as pro-Israel because of what they believe that means for them. What they believe that is going to accomplish for their country. What they, what they think God is, God's bigger picture beyond Israel is. And there are lots of times where you can be doing the right thing for a very wrong reason. And you may get some benefit from it, but not what you would get if you were understanding and, and doing it for the right reasons. You know, it's comparison that just popped into my mind is, you know, a couple of people, this is just a couple of years ago, but a couple of people did really wonderful things for homeless people and someone happened to catch it in a video or a photo and it went viral and those people got a lot of attention whether they wanted it or not. And then suddenly it was the craze for young people to go out and do selfies with homeless people. It was like, wait, there, there's a huge gap in between those two things. You know, it's great that they got photos. You know, the people, a couple of them were like, I didn't know anyone was taking a picture. I wish that hadn't happened. I was just trying to do something. I didn't, I, I didn't want this attention. Versus the people who saw it and went, you get attention if you have your picture with homeless people. Let's go do it, you know, and run. Um, no, because then you are defiling them. You're you're invalidating them. You're you know what you're doing is offensive. But they couldn't see the difference. They didn't under they didn't have the maturity or the understanding to get the difference at that point. And so. You know, there, there are things that are good and then there are things that are distortions. And we have to be careful that we don't consider everyone who, and this goes back to the whole having the right doctrine versus living the right life. We have to be careful that we don't too strongly ally with people who are saying and doing something that we agree with without understanding their motivation. You know, there are a lot of groups that I'm able to go, yeah, I agree with you on that one. Good position. Gotta stay way over here <laughs> about pretty much everything else. So, you know, so yes, good job. And no, <laughs> not good. <laughs> so, so, you know, being pro-Israel isn't... Like just a one size fits all thing. It's it's not, and yet at the same time, God forbid you be anti-Israel, like some groups are. You know, the PCUSA that has come out with their statement of, you know, we're in opposition, we're boycotting Israel. Okay, good luck to you with that, because I read the prophecies about the place, the people that are against Israel. I don't want to be there. Uh, you know, but I I do believe that in Paul's analogy of the olive tree. You know, when he's talking to, to the believers and saying, yes, some branches from Israel were cut off, creating room for you to be grafted in. But don't be too arrogant because they're laying on the ground. And at the point they want to be grafted back in, they're going to take root even better than you did. And if you don't stay attached, you'll be cut off. 
And I think that we are very definitely in, in a season of heightened pruning, if you will, <laughs> where, where groups that are not really attached properly to the olive tree are being knocked off the tree. While at the same time, lots of the branches that were laying on the ground are like, no, this is a good tree. This is the tree we were supposed to be attached to. And, and I think that we live, we live in interesting times. <laughs> is that a good thing? Churches and talked about the different things and, and shared that information. Bill, do you want to go? I'm yeah, guessing. And we wanted to like bring more to, uh, to light and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, wow, that's crazy. Like, how many different people are Yeah, a, year, a couple of years ago, I was invited to speak at one of the Christmas parties for one of the, um, the primetime groups at. Uh, um, at their at their Christmas party, and I I went and I said I know this is your Christmas party, but I really want to talk to you about Hanukkah. <laughs> and I took the Hanukkah and I explained about you know God you know the, the shmash candle lighting the other candles and us spreading you know the love of God and they they just absolutely loved it. They were just I, I feel like and something I had shared with my parents years ago when we were we were talking about the golden calf. And, uh, uh, you know, how Moses was up on the mountain and, and the tradition is that he told them he would be up there for 40 days, but they miscounted. And so it was the day he was supposed to be back and they went, well, he's not back. He must not be coming back. I guess he burned up like we thought we would. And good thing we only sent him up. Um, and so that, that, uh, Aaron was trying to buy Moses his extra day. So he was like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, bring me all this. And so he bound, tied it all up really tight. He thought he'd throw it in the fire and it would melt and it would be, you know, they'd go, oh, I guess we'll give him another day. And instead, the the magicians that were there who had been among the people who came out with them out of Egypt uh, did their thing and out comes this golden calf dancing out of the fire. And, and I told my parents, I said, I, sometimes I feel when I listen to modern teachings or current ideas or doctrinal things that are out there, I feel like a lot of the church reads Paul saying that he'll be coming soon and thinks, wow, geez, it's been 2,000 years. How do we keep these people, you know, hanging in there so they throw a bunch of stuff in the fire and see what dances out of it? And we've got all of these different idols within the church that they're trying to get people focused on and to the point that they're not really waiting for God again. 
but they're distracted, whether it be, you know, the prosperity gospel, all the different gospels. Those are not the gospel of Yeshua. If you're saying the gospel of such and such, you're missing, unless it's the gospel of salvation. Whoa. Though there, I mean, and the social gospel is part of scripture, but it shouldn't, it's not a competition. It should be one motivating you to do the other and the, being the recipient of one provoking a response of the other. Not, we reject that. We do social gospel instead. We reject this. We do this instead. And even salvation is not a standalone gospel. Because the, the good news, when Paul talks about, and, and I was just looking at this for someone um, in response to a discussion, all of the times where Paul talks about what Yeshua's act did, what it removed, when he's talking about the law and he's talking about grace, and he talks about, uh, it's worded a couple different ways, but basically that he, that when the, he talks about um, what Yeshua did was removed the curse of the law, it's always in the context of the discussion of the circumcised versus the uncircumcised. And every single time, what I, what I truly believe, and I haven't gone through and been able to write about it yet, but I, I've been looking at it over and over, what I really believe he's saying is that when you become understanding that you are a recipient of God's law, and you begin to enact holiness in your life. When you do it with human understanding and effort, you cut yourself off from others. The hedge that didn't allow them to sit at the same table with other people. Didn't allow them to go into the home of someone who didn't believe as they did. Made them separate, you know, the silverware. And, and, and everything becomes separated. And what Paul is trying to say is that Yeshua took down that wall of separation. Circumcision, uncircumcision is nothing, not because the law doesn't matter, but because when you are becoming righteous, that means you go and fellowship with the other people, not cut yourself off from them. That cutting yourself off because you think it makes you more holy is the curse. It's what we bring to it. And so what Yeshua clarified and what he came to correct was those walls should not be there. So when we understand that the purpose of his coming was to teach us about how to connect to one another and about how to love one another, which is why John can say, if you say you love God but you hate your neighbor, God's love is not in you. You've completely missed the point. And so if the salvation gospel is not prompting you to act as the social gospel, you, you've, you've missed that next step. You've only gotten part of it. But if you think you can go do the social gospel unmotivated by your relationship with God, you're, not, you're going to burn out and not get very far. It's the whole, it's all about love. Love is not just part of that. It's all of that. It's about being in community 
and sharing who God is and the reality of who he is. And I think part of the problem that we have in this country is that we have, at some point, people thought they could define what salvation is and looks like and sounds like. And I just, God seems to be saying over and over in Isaiah, yeah, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) All of your doctrines are filth. My doctrines are love and mercy, and this is how we're going to do it. And and so stepping back and saying, you know what? I love God. How I got there doesn't matter. How, you know, the words with which I define it matter, but not in the sense that they're going to do anything to anyone else, except hopefully communicate. And... And so if we're, you know, actually the idea that actions speak louder than words. If I say, well, I love Jesus and I know that he's real, so I'm going to pray for you. And I leave. Does that show you more love than someone who says no doctrine and feed you? Right. Be the citron. Be the citron. Don't be the fruit that doesn't have fragrance. Don't be the fragrance that doesn't have fruit. Please don't be the no fragrance, no fruit. <laughs> That's right out. <laughs> be the citron, the fruit and the fragrance. And and you can know you're airing to one side or the other if you feel like if you feel like you're doing all the right things and you're getting burnt out, you've lost your fragrance. If you're feeling really connected to God, but there's nothing in your life that you're doing to bless others, you're the myrtle. And, and you know, we tend to totter back and forth. So what you were saying yeah. in the beginning about stuff being a distraction. Uh-huh. Like, well, because you know in the middle is that's what we go through. Yeah. So I was at my seven job, they were talking about offering me a full-time position. Uh-huh. And so I kept going, oh, you know, school this and that, and I have to do, like, these operation hours, and I'm trying to figure it out. And so, like, the one lady was like, you should go for it, because Christmas is a little corner. You need money for Christmas. And I'm like, lady, are you kidding me? <laughs> That's why I should take something and Right, not, like, you my bills or something. Right. She literally was like, Christmas is coming, and you only have this many Fridays, and this many, and in my mind, I'm, like, thinking about your whole, like, Oh, yeah. Like, why is that a big distraction? Why is right. everyone like Christmas is coming? Right. Like, why are you freaking out? And yeah. it's like not even Halloween that you're telling me I should take a full time <laughs> job, not because I need it or my kids need it or not know, to pay rent to or pay rent you know or feed to, us. No, no other reason. But you want to buy presents, and, and you know, children they need Christmas. I was like, do they? They they need food. That's a need. We don't need anything else. I can keep my cell phone on or my car running, but Christmas. Well, it's like when my son needed his surgery and they kept telling me, well, you know, it's other kids will tease him. And I said, they said when he goes to school, especially if he has to, you know, shower in the locker room, I said, we homeschool. Nobody will tease him. Yeah. Well, someday he's going to fall in love and he has to bring a girl home and explain to her that he's got, you know, this large mole. And I said, well, if that stops her from caring about him or wanting to be with him, she's not the woman I would want him to be with anyway. And finally they said, 
it's prone to melanoma. We've seen babies as young as 13 months die. It's tumorous, so we can't find the cancer before it's too late. I, that's what I said. I said, why didn't you lead with that? That's exactly what I said. I said, let's schedule a surgery. <laughs> they said, well, we don't like to scare people. I said, oh, but appealing to vanity doesn't seem to bother you. You know, <laughs> what the heck? And, and so we scheduled it. But I was like, why are you, who cares? What is that? Why is that important? his life yes we will do this you know but i'm not gonna put my baby my preemie baby through a risky surgery because some girl might be too vain to love him some hypothetical girl you know so you know it's it's about it's about where our focus is it's about parsing out the distractions because the distractions are what cause us fear the distractions are what cause us to lose sight and start trying to find our own solutions. They're what caused the kings to go, well, I know God's given us a lot of peace, but I don't know, the Assyrians are coming. I think we should make a pact with, with Egypt, you know. I, I, I know God's kept us safe from all these other things, but gosh, I just don't know about this. My, my brother and his wife call it, uh, they call it the praise God, where's God, who's God. And, and they, they said they were, you know, as they were studying the Israelites in the wilderness and they were just like, just like you were, Tanya, going, man, it says the next day this happens. And then the next day this happens. And they were like, oh, why couldn't they have faith? They could just couldn't hold on to their faith. And then they had this amazing thing that was so clearly God doing it. And, and they were just riding this high. And then, like, three days later, their refrigerator seemed to be broken. And they were like, what are we going to do? And they went, whoa. We're like the Israelites. We get it. It's just us. It's just people. This is what we do. We go, praise God for this amazing thing. And then something happens. And then we go, where's God in this? And then we start trying to fix it ourselves. And we make a mess. And we go, who's this God we've been talking about? <laughs> and so being the remnant isn't about cutting yourself off from everybody else. It isn't about making sure that you're doing the right thing and isolating and we're not part of that God look over here we're doing this special thing remember us it's about being God to the world it's about taking what you're experiencing and understand you know not that we become God but we are his if we're his ambassadors then we go to that foreign soil and we act on his behalf and we speak on his behalf which means we better be speaking what he's saying. I mean, if you're an, an actual ambassador to a country and you speak things you're not authorized to speak, um, yeah, you're going to get called back and tried under your country's laws. <laughs> you may get out of that parking ticket, but you're going <laughs> to, yeah, you don't have carte blanche to just say whatever you want because you're not part of this nation you're in. And, and that's, wow, those baby dolls crying. It sounds like goats. <laughs> You know, a lot of people are like, well, we're ambassadors. We don't have to, you know, this isn't for us. This isn't about it. And, but the ambassadors shouldn't be over there thinking they're going to get away with not abiding by the laws. They should be over there on behalf of their country doing what they were sent to do. You know, if you see your ambassadorship as you can get out of some parking tickets, probably not a very good ambassador. 
Or if you think you have the right to speak whatever you want and, and the country you're representing has to back you, yeah, they don't. It doesn't work that way. You are only entrusted with what you're entrusted with. And so casting off the weird doctrines and looking at the different causes and making sure we're on the right side of them. You know, if, if people are talking about alliance, making alliances with Egypt, we might want to be the voice that says, you know, God's come through every time. Let's not doubt him now. I know it looks bad. That doesn't really look better. <laughs> you know? And so, so I guess on that note, you know, we'll go ahead and end the, end the recording and, and close out the study. But may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Because in his peace is where you get rid of the distractions. Oh.